is full of amazing stories. And the purpose of this podcast is to collect those stories from the people that lived them. Where We Landed is a podcast that recognizes our whole story told by the individuals that live and love this small Indiana county. Welcome back to this week's episode of Where We Landed. I'm Kylie Jackson, and this week we have Alicia Hazelwood. Hello, hello. And very special guest host. First time ever having a guest host on this show. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, we had to bring in a professional for our first uh, first foray into guests. Because we don't trust ourselves. No, we, which is <laughs> probably correct. Uh, the one, the only, Tim George. I'm neither very special nor professional, but thank you for inviting me. So you'll me. fit in just fine. Yeah, well, probably true. Uh-huh. So if you don't know Tim, Tim hosts Good Morning Grant County on WBAT. <laughs> you can listen to him there between six and nine every weekday. And so he's going to teach us. I, I feel a little intimidated running a board right in front of him, like... You, you tried to pass this, the board off. Yeah, but. this is your day job. There are a lot of pretty buttons. I'd like to go ahead and try those. <laughs> We've got yeah. like laugh tracks and all sorts of stuff. Oh, I heard yeah. that. Yeah, I don't know how to use them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but they're there. I think I've I've pushed them a couple times and it's on like a thirty second delay. We've already moved on. But oh no, yeah, it it's, it's fine. All right, so we are really really excited for today's guest. Um, but before we get to that. Um, Alicia is going to <laughs> take us through some trivia. Yes. So our guest, you may answer trivia as well. It's first come, first serve on the trivia. Kylie's going to keep track on the board. She's actually going to play as well this time. Keeping in mind that Scott Miller always loses trivia. Always. Always. I and Iris Scott. always wins trivia. Mm-hmm. However, Tori Williams... Last like, week, she took her on. She Tori, won- would, Tori would do all right. Tori yeah. won pop culture trivia last week. Mm-hmm. So, so we've got some more pop culture trivia. And if you recognize the voice, <laughs> you already know who our special guest is this week. So here's our first thank trivia you, question. By the way, thank you for pop culture. Before we even start, I appreciate it. Pop culture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I tried to put some in here. Some of these should be stumpers for people. So, you know. Okay. All right. How many grapes are needed to make a bottle of wine? Don't we get multiple choice? No. <laughs> uh, Why isn't this local trivia? <laughs> because I don't have the, all the brain knowledge you do to do local trivia. So we're doing pop culture um, trivia. Like, don't change the subject. 2000. 2000. Oh, we all have to guess. Well, uh, that's if you're wrong. wrong so. <laughs> <laughs> I see. I'm going to say 1500. Wrong. 500. 700 so you oh, were the closest i think but, but i still don't win well no points given uh, this uh, secret is he drinks a lot of wine he knows he's well, counted I the mean, grapes yeah <laughs> all right grapes of wrath for there you go this is gonna be really fun today. I'm <laughs> what album is the worldwide best-selling best-selling album of all time the album that is the worldwide best-selling album of all time it's Beatles. a Michael Jackson album. It is a Michael Jackson yeah. album. Yeah. Bad. No. No. Is that a Michael Jackson? It is. Okay, good. <laughs> good moment, job. Moment of panic that I didn't even name it Michael Jackson. Thriller. Yes. Thriller. 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 Yeah. Thriller night. All right. So what is the translation of the word karaoke? Oh, oh good gracious. I don't know. Something for people who can't sing. It's the literal translation. (laughs) Empty orchestra is the translation for karaoke. What did I just say? Uh, I agree. (laughs) All right. President Ronald Reagan's favorite candy and flavor. Looking at both of you, I was barely alive. (laughs) No excuses, only results. Gumdrops. Gumdrops. It was not gumdrops. Oh. (sighs) You're close. It was Wrigley like gum gum. No. Jelly beans. Jelly beans. Jelly, jelly beans. beans. They were jelly yeah. belly jelly yeah. beans. Jelly belly. Green jelly ones. Beans. He actually liked the licorice ones. Oh, Ugh. gross. <laughs> oh, gross. Right, yeah, he's Republican. Of course he did. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> and, and there it is. <laughs> <laughs> who was the Benedictine monk who invented champagne? 
Alicia, I thought you told me that I was going to do good on this. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm giving you booze questions. <laughs> I don't know. Dom Perrion. Oh, gracious. What's Barbie's actual measurements if she were a real woman? I'm not going anywhere near <laughs> that. answer that, Kylie. 39, 23, 33. Man. These are the worst questions. I know. They these are. are the worst questions ever. I'm going to lose my role here. <laughs> what county, what country in the world produces the most coffee? Colombia. No. No. Uh, Brazil. <laughs> yes, Vietnam. Brazil. Vietnam. Tim George gets another one. <laughs> what is, he is. And you don't drink coffee. I don't drink he coffee. I know. I don't drink wine. <laughs> Which two letters in Scrabble are worth 10 points? Q and X. Yes. Very good. You are welcome. <laughs> um. I told her that if at any point I was leading this game to just end it and say that that was is all the questions more danger? Is it more <laughs> dangerous? <laughs> now I'm looking for other questions. Is it more dangerous to fly or drive? Drive. Yes. Okay. <laughs> More. Boy, that got past me before I even <laughs> think about that. What country is sushi from? Japan. Yes! And we're done. And the game's over. <laughs> Kylie wins. Yay! Three to two to zero. <laughs> Good effort, Tim. You ready to leave it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I left about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so it is my great privilege and honor to introduce one of my favorite curmudgeons of our community um, in Ed Brain. Uh, he is someone who I have looked up to for a lot of years. He knew me back when I worked in the congressional office. And so we always have fun in the green room talking about politics and just the history of our community. And so when we started a podcast that talked about the community, what's great here, how we landed here. Uh, Ed was immediately on my list for someone who will probably be in not once, but multiple times to our podcast. So, <laughs> well, we'll see how, yeah. see how, how the well first one goes. goes. Um, hopefully he'll be back because he's got lot, you have got lots of great stories to share and uh, of your time here. So we'll just jump right in. And how is it that you ended up here in Grant County? 1965, I was editing a weekly newspaper up in Wisconsin. I had worked in Dubuque. The guy that I worked for in Dubuque was here as editor of the Leader Tribune of Happy Memory. And he called me and said, uh, I need you to come help me on some things. And I said, okay, I'll give you two years. And that was 56 years ago. <laughs> Sounds like someone else we've interviewed before. is <laughs> like, I'm going to be there for a real short period of time. Mm -hmm. Lifer they became. <laughs> yep. Yep. It happens to the best of us. It does. Right? Yeah. So what about what, what was before Wisconsin? Where were you raised? I was born and reared in Northwest Iowa. Uh, went to school in Dubuque until they threw me out. Worked at the Telegraph Herald. <laughs> Is there a in story Dubuque. there? I was going to say there's a story there. Yeah, but uh, we're not going to get into that. Oh, come the on. Well, apparently you the statute of limitations that. hasn't run out. <laughs> Because after 55 years, I'm still on disciplinary probation, I found out. <laughs> like your actual transcript says disciplinary probation? Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. All right. I, you just went up on my list. Of <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I guess if we're not going there, we're not going there, but. Did you put a cow in the no, I went. I, I, I started working for a newspaper when I was 16 years old and just never left. And uh, worked in uh, in Fort Dodge, Iowa, Dubuque, Iowa, Plymouth, Wisconsin, and came here in 1966 and uh, worked at the Chronicle Tribune until 1995. And once again, I got crossways with management. And uh, spent 15 years working at the Journal Gazette in Fort Wayne. And I didn't want to go out and sit on my front porch on a rocking chair and die. So I started doing this silly radio thing. And by silly radio thing. And how did you get talked into doing the silly radio thing? <laughs> Basically that. Uh, <laughs> Dave Paler. Uh, Dave Paylor and I were talking and I said, I don't want to go sit on the front porch and die. And he says, why don't you try doing the morning radio show with Tim? And I said, oh, I don't think so. There's a learning curve there. I don't think, I don't think that'd be very much fun. And I don't and, like and it. And besides that, besides <laughs> that, you didn't want me. 
Oh, it's getting I spicy was skeptical. already. I was skeptical. <laughs> did, so did you do the show alone before, Ed? Or did you have other hosts? I did it alone, but not for very long. Tim Rush had been my predecessor, yeah. and Tim did it alone for a long time. Long and time. that was terrifying to have to talk <laughs> by yourself, essentially, for all that time. So yeah. he really gets credit for doing it as long as he did pretty much on his own. Yeah. I only ever remember Good Morning Grant County being the two of you. So, same. Don't act yeah. like you're young. <laughs> hey. he, he said it. He said it. Not, not me this you. Time. I know, not Kylie this time. So, so Ed, at 16, most kids are working on paper routes. What made you want to work for the paper? There were three reasons. Number one, I didn't dance well, so I was looking for something to do on Friday nights and not go to the dance. Uh, the I can sports think of many other things. The sports, <laughs> the sports editor of my hometown paper offered me a job taking sports calls on Friday night. Uh, and uh, the I had gone to a big fire just as a spectator. And I watched the police reporter from the paper go around the barricades <laughs> And go wherever she wanted to go. And you thought that was. The I want to do thought, that. That's yeah. kind of cool. I want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to follow rules. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> Flash that press pass and walk right in, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is uh, your press background how you got sideways with administration? <laughs> I've had lots of problems with management through the years. <laughs> Yeah. There's a trend emerge. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm also feeling some very odd similarities. In <laughs> uh, so you're also an accomplished photographer. Were you doing that at, at that I, age I, too, I, or was that something that came later? No, I got into photography really when I was at the Telegraph Herald in Dubuque, Iowa. And the editor there was uh, a guy who was – Became legendary in the business for teaching young photographers th th what the rudiments of photojournalism are all about. It's more than going out with a camera. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he took an interest in me. I became enchanted with news photography and worked very hard at it for a lot of years. Mm. But the problem was I could never decide what I wanted to do when I grew up because uh, most photographers get into photography and that's where they stay. And I kept moving back and forth between writing and photography and mm. because both were fun. And before the time of a camera taking the picture for you, you had to tell the camera what picture it was taking. <laughs> oh, With yeah. digital, you were in the real SLR well, I, I started on a, a four by five Graflex, uh, the old wow. press camera, yeah. where you would take uh, you would take two two film holders, and yet meant you shot four pictures at a football game or a basketball game. And I could tell you about the uh, night that I put a hot flash bulb into the wrong pocket. Yes, <laughs> and set off all the unspent flash bulbs oh. all at once. And how fun was that? Uh, that hurt a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and how old were you when you made that mistake? Oh, that was I was about eighteen. <laughs> you only make that one once, probably. Only did that once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, only once. <laughs> so I know we haven't talked a ton about your um, your history at the the Chronicle Tribune yet, but um, uh, I want it while we're still talking about the photography. There have been a lot of um, great photographers come through kind of marrying with the Chronicle as a first job. What, what's that been like, kind of mentoring those oh, folks that, and then seeing them move on? That was a real joy. And for me, that was the fun of staying at the Chronicle Tribune, was that we developed a reputation as being a newspaper that did a good job with photojournalism. And uh, I was allowed to recruit talent with the idea that I would bring young folks in, and there was a whole string of them, Ron Medvesic, Sean Spence, Greg Fisher. I mean, the list goes on. Alan Petersheim, Jeff Moorhead was my last hire. Uh, bring them in. They would spend a couple of years, and they would go on to something better. And the joy for me was in, in seeing them learn and go on to something better. And, uh, you know, some of the alum from here are uh, all over the country now. So, yeah, for one brief shining moment, 
there was a, a really fine place for photojournalism to be practiced on a small newspaper. So you have any? Okay. <laughs> I'll keep asking them then. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought you were leading that into okay. another question. <laughs> um, I guess my, along those, those lines, um, what was that development like once you were at the Chronicle? You know, it, it sounded like you were kind of jumping around a lot in that time up to the Chronicle and then. Yeah. And when stayed, you, stayed put for 30 years. Yeah. yeah when you came yeah. to the Chronicle, you said you initially gave a two year commitment. What were you, what were you planning for after that? Oh, if I you were planning I don't anything. know. I've never planned anything <laughs> like that. I, I, I've just been very, very fortunate. And then I've be, been able to land in places where there were things that I wanted to do and people that would allow me to do them mm -hmm. and people that I could learn from. So you did hop around. It seemed like well, for not a, while. a whole lot. I mean, I was young. I by the I was only twenty two when I got here. Oh, okay. Were uh, you Were you and Joanne married jo at that time? Joanne so and she I came had with gotten you? married a year before, and that's when we went to Wisconsin. I edited a weekly up there, which was a great learning experience. But I was working a hundred hours a week, and said, "No, nah, this is not." And I was not going to be able to uh, buy a piece of the action. Uh, so I said, "No, this is not." where I'm going to be long-term, and that's when I... I had a choice of coming to the Chronicle Tribune for $110 a week or going to the Milwaukee Journal for $100 a week plus a staff car. <laughs> I went for the cash. I was going to say, what was the deciding factor on that? <laughs> Another bad move on my part. So you've been, as you said, in Grant County, got rooted here. Mm -hmm. What are some of the first things that really tied you into the community that caused you to be, I mean, you had this natural connection with the, the newspaper, but how did you really get rooted locally? Well, first of all, we had a newspaper that was that wanted to be a good small town newspaper. The publishers, the, uh, it was the Thomas family at that time. Dick Thomas was the publisher. And then in 1970, uh, Gannett bought the paper. And while we whined a lot about Gannett, in retrospect, they were very good ownership. They provided us with resources. But the thing that, that kept me here was that, A, we wanted to be a good newspaper, and secondly, this town was an unending source of really interesting material if you were a serious journalist. Hmm. It was a microcosm of the country. Uh, in, in those years, in the late 60s, the 70s, going into the 80s, there was lots of turmoil in the country. And if you were trying to get a, a, a handle on what that turmoil was, all you had to do was take a look in Marion because it was here in a more condensed form, smaller version. Uh, we had a, a population in Marion that was generally antagonistic towards each other. We had the old Hoosier population. We had introduced the Southern white worker into the population when we became industrialized. And we had the Southern black worker who had been introduced into Marion uh, around the turn of the century. So you had those th three groups that were essentially antagonistic towards each other. The only thing that they agreed upon was that management was bad. Um, and when and you had, were with them on that, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not go there. Um, but it, it was a, a wonderful news town. Uh, any story that you wanted to pursue at the national level, you could find in Marion and you could pursue it and tell a really interesting and hopefully important story. And because the ownership of the newspaper wanted to be good, we had the resources and the space and the time to do those things. Very interesting. So I know that that was, that was a, a career, a full-time job. How does uh, that compare um, to uh, what you do now? On a, I mean, do you feel like you get to see the news happen with what you're doing well, now? Yeah, it keeps you, you connected? Know, a, a, an editor is a, is a reporter whose legs gave out. You know, it's amazing <laughs> what it amounts to. Uh, what I'm doing now, well, I guess I'll go down this path. Um, 
when I left the Journal Gazette and returned to Marion emotionally, because we never moved from here, I commuted for 15 years, uh, what I saw was the local daily abdicating some of its responsibilities. It no longer had the resources to do the kinds of things, tell the kinds of stories that some of us believe need to be told. And as their resources shrunk, uh, I started thinking that radio in the morning could do some of the kinds of things that the newspaper was no longer doing, either because it didn't want to do them or didn't have the resources to do them. So one of the things that attracted me to doing the radio thing was that, yeah, I've got a skill set here. The, the, the basic skill set is the same. You're a reporter. You're curious. You want to tell stories, and you have the, the uh, ability to tell those stories. And it's just simply is a different delivery system. So I think a little bit about um, you do the Ed Breen moments, right? How did that come about that you would do those? We're back to Dave Paler again. Uh, Dave Paler and I were at a watering hole, which shall remain unnamed. Because we're not going to go down that path. No, we aren't. <laughs> no, no. And he wanted me to do on radio. I was working in Fort Wayne at that point, And he wanted me to do on radio what I had done in the newspaper in a thing called Column One. It ran every Sunday uh, for a lot of years. And it was basically me sitting down at the typewriter and staring at a sheet of paper until there was drops of blood on my forehead <laughs> and words started to appear. And uh, so I don't, I don't think we can. I don't know. We'll, we'll give it a try. And we started uh, doing what, be, what Paler named the Ed Breen moment. Um, and we've been doing that now. Well, next year it'll be 20 years. Wow. Because that started in uh, 2003. And I've done one every week since then. Is there anywhere we can find a repository of all of those? Or will they ever be in a book or anything? Oh, I've got seven binders at home on the shelf that have the, the <laughs> scripts for all of so them. So yeah. there is a spot there for all of There is a spot, them. yes. And you two okay. will be asked to give the foreword <laughs> okay. once that book comes out. Okay. <laughs> I do. Well, you and I have both been mentioned in one of the Ed Brain moments. Oh, yeah. as women that are going to uh, yeah. lead the world, apparently, one day or something. Yeah, that, that's, I, I, that's, I, that's so five years. I How paid wrong. a hell of a price for that <laughs> one. <laughs> How wrong. How wrong you were. <laughs> Here we are doing a podcast. <laughs> High hopes. <laughs> and, you're, and you're in control. <laughs> this is true. There's very few things where well, I'm not in control. Well, this is just us pretending to be Tim and Ed. You realize right. that. I absolutely yeah. realize yeah. that. Making a podcast was us just getting to do what you guys do. Yeah. We just wanted to be and like you. Well, the, the dirty way, little secret is it's kind of fun, isn't it? <laughs> it is kind of fun. I think we yeah. figured out who Tim is and who Ed is in our particular, <laughs> as you're sitting behind the board and I'm just over here talking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When the mics are off, that's when you get the good material. You really do. Whistling as you walk past the cemetery. <laughs> Tim, you have anything uh, yeah, pressing? This is your one. This is your chance. Well, I've heard so much of this stuff at least once, <laughs> he's, maybe he's two or three times. So yeah. I want you to ask the question. Which is why you should have the real good questions that dig into some of this <laughs> deeper question, deeper stuff. I don't know. I, he doesn't like questions like this, so I'll just ask one. Perfect. Uh, well, it's why it's, we had you on. No, it's it's not that awe-inspiring or anything, but I try to get him to tell me, what were your most precious moments? Well, let's break it down. How about photography? The shots that you had, the shots that you took that are ever etched in your mind as, mm. boy, that was a real moment for me. Great Bobby question. Kennedy was here in town or, or something oh, yeah, along yeah, those that lines. Was, that was a wonderful day. I mean, uh, chasing a presidential candidate around is, is exciting. I mean, over the years, I photographed uh, seven presidents, either during the time they were in the presidency or after they were president, one or the other. When they were but, here in Marion? Or? Well, mainly here in Marion. Oh, yeah, okay. some in Indianapolis, some Lyndon Johnson in Indianapolis, Richard Nixon in Indian, both when they were president. Uh, and it's just fun to run with the big dogs occasionally. But the, the things that I remember, Tim, are not so much those big moments, but rather the uh, the 
the quiet moments that made nice photographs. Uh, I did a project one time on a migrant worker camp. And there was a certain amount of surreptitiousness involved in it. They, the owners of the camp, and it was down in, in uh, Tipton County, didn't want me there. So I got in with the help of a Catholic chaplain who was ministering to the migrant workers. And I spent the better part of a week there. And nobody knew I was there. And I was making a lot of pictures and did a, a project after I came out on a migrant family, stayed with one family, and all of the pictures dealt with that family. And uh, there is one photograph in particular of a little girl named Irma, and this was 55 years ago, and I still remember her name, uh, that, that to me was the embodiment of, of uh, the way a small child should not have to grow up. Mm. Uh, and those those are the ones that I remember, not not the uh, not the razzmatazz stuff. This episode of Where We Landed is brought to you by the United Way of Grant County. The United Way's mission is to build stronger families. We believe that sharing inspirational stories helps strengthen the fabric of our community. To get involved, contact the United Way at seven six five six six two nine eight one one. Now, I don't know if you two know about this, so I will ask him to comment. He spent some time with USA Today, and he'll have to explain to you about the length of time and what he did. But you came across some uh, VIPs, many of them, did you not, during that time with USA Today? <laughs> well, in the early days of USA Today, uh, one of the dirty little secrets of Gannett was that they were staffing that national newspaper with people that were on loan from the 100 Gannett newspapers around the country. They would pluck a bunch of us out of Marion or Muskegon or you know, wherever and pack us off to Washington, give us an extra 100 bucks a week, and we thought we were rich. Mm -hmm. And it was on a short-term basis. Uh, I was there for six months. Uh, and it was it was a great experience. It was very enjoyable. I spent some time on the uh, front page desk at USA Today. Most of the time I spent on a thing that was an ill-fated adventure called USA Weekend. They had bought Parade Magazine, or a Family Weekly, Family Weekly, and renamed it USA Weekend. And I spent a lot of time trying to chase insufferably dull celebrities <laughs> on the phone. But what about Neil Armstrong? Well, that was kind of, okay. <laughs> Which hasn't I'm connected just, uh, into I've Purdue. met Neil Armstrong before. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. This was after the Challenger explosion. Mm. And uh, we were trying to find astronauts that we could talk to about the, the, what had happened in the day. And I was told to get Neil Armstrong. And copy desk guy signed me, said, I'll forget it. You'll never get him. Well, I started making the phone calls. I, the reporter skills kick in. <laughs> right. You know, you gotta, I got to know somebody an, that knows somebody an, that can exactly. get me to Neil Armstrong. <laughs> an, a, an endless Rolodex <laughs> is right. the most important thing in the world. Uh, and made phone calls, and I, I got to uh, his administrative assistant. He was then in Cincinnati teaching. And I said, this is Ed Breen at USA Today. I'd like to talk to Neil Armstrong. He, well, uh, I'll pass this along, and, and he may call you back, but maybe not. <laughs> and about an hour later, the phone rings. So I pick it up. And I identify myself. He says, Ed, this is Neil Armstrong. What can I do for you? <laughs> and, well, I couldn't remember my own name at that point. <laughs> oh, my God. They called me back. <laughs> Am I why, being punked right now? <laughs> why, why did I call him? <laughs> Do not sound stupid on the phone. Do not sound stupid. <laughs> but I got another one that was fun because at, at USA Today, you're just simply, it's the same nonsense. You're just at a different level. And one of my jobs was to get hold of celebrities every week and ask really dumb questions and get an answer from celebrities. And one time my assignment was to call comedians and ask them if they had any family traditions on April Fool's Day. So I start hmm. calling these The really hard-hitting stuff. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this is, is guts I can journalism. see why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I get hold of Robin Williams. 
And everybody else, I get hold of Bob Hope's assistant. He says, yeah, I'll look in the file and see if there's any jokes on there or whatever and get back with you. Well, I get past the agent and, and I'm actually talking to Robin Williams. And I apologize because I'm going to ask him this really stupid question. <laughs> and I said, you know, do you have any family traditions on April Fool's Day? And without hesitation, Robert, Robin Williams says, oh, yeah. He says, every April Fool's Day, we scotch tape my grandmother to the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, the day is a success. <laughs> oh, that's oh, a good one. Um, it kind of reminds me off air. We were talking about Lustron homes, and you could just throw grandma up there on some magnets, right? Yeah, we were talking about <laughs> the, having the magnetic yeah. jacket yeah. and just throwing her up there to well, attach you know, you to ask, it. Why, why do you uh, stay in one town for 50 years? And that's it. the Lustron house is a real good example. Uh, over the years, I've probably done three or four different stories on Lustron houses in Marion. And I, you know, give me a couple of minutes. I can tell you where they're all located. There's five of them in town. They were a phenomenon of the post-war years after World War II. They were affordable uh, housing that could be put up. The house came on a truck. All you needed to put the house together was a screwdriver and a pair of pliers. And telling those kinds of stories, knowing where every Lustron house is in a small town is something that to me is fun. Yeah. And to know who lives in them. Yeah. You have the opportunity to actually get to know the people that live around you and their stories. Absolutely. And, yeah. And and that goes on to today. I mean, uh, the last month, a uh, month ago, we arranged to get an uh, interview, an on-air interview with Dr. Salil Rajmaira, who talked about the experience of having a double lung transplant mm -hmm after his lungs were destroyed by COVID. And to me, that's just as compelling today as it was 50 years ago yeah. to talk to those people, to hear their story, and then to use the skill set to turn around and tell the story to others. Yeah. Interesting. What did you, um, during your time, since you spent the majority of your career at the Chronicle Tribune, uh -huh. how did um, reporting the news change in the time that you were there? Um, pretty dramatically, because it, it became, you know, there was the whole era of gonzo journalism and the Hunter Thompsons and those people. And the... A spinoff from that was that there became there came a greater interest in the quality of the writing and the willingness to tell difficult long-term stories, mm -hmm. things that required space, required resources to spend six months gathering this story. And when I came into journalism, there was not a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. And I think in those years between say 1970 and maybe 1990, that was kind of a glory time for saying, yeah, we can do this. We can tell this story. We can tell the story of inadequate housing in Marion. We can tell the story of the decay of central Marion and we can do it well uh, if we take the time to do it. If we do a 12 part series, mm -hmm. which sounds intimidating, uh, and it was intimidating, and it was challenging to do it, but we did those kinds of things. I had a, a gang of people at the Chronicle Tribune at one time. We did a thing called Streets and Dreams that was a 12-part uh, a series looking at the decay of Central Marion uh, in those years. Did we change anything? Did we fix anything? I don't know. You can't you you can't quantify it in that way. You can't measure it. But at least we told the story to our neighbors in Marion as to what was going on and why, mm. and that makes it worthwhile. So <clears throat> I think about all of the different news stories that you've reported on, been a part of, where you're reporting now in an environment where you live and work around and shop with and know the people that are in your stories, right? So it's not just 
I'm telling this story, but I'm telling this story about someone I know, someone that I engage with. That's got to be sometimes inspiring and sometimes just gut-wrenching to have to do those stories. It, it cuts both ways. So how and what are the things that you've done over the years that kind of feed back into you, inspire you, and help you continue to do that all these years later, whether it be in newspaper to radio or... I'll tell you what, after I die, when they do the autopsy, why don't you take a look at my brain and see if you can find the answer up there on that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, do you sit on the porch and drink uh, scotch and talk to it's the neighbors? Bur bourbon. Or bourbon. bourbon. My bad. Bourbon. bourbon. Yes. Yeah, whatever. You know, just, I've never been invited, but I've heard about these porch visits. Never been invited? Porch visits. Well, you know, we've talked about how Ed and I are kind of similar, so we might not get along all that well. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, yeah, I, 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 I mean? me, we'll, we'll stay with that for just a second. During the time of COVID, when the watering holes in the community were all closed, and there were several of us who were in need of hydration. <laughs> you uh, did a service. I did a service by opening <laughs> my front porch uh, and providing hydration for people in desperate need of it. <laughs> And, and I didn't get invited, so I was just no. in the desert alone. Well, not it was it, the worst part is it was all male. It, it was chauvinistic. And again, we're terribly, not going down that terribly hole. chauvinistic. <laughs> At we're, least you recognize it. We're out there one afternoon, and we're getting just a little bit noisy. And my long-suffering wife Joanne comes to the door, and she says, "Will you guys hold it down before the neighbors call the police?" And I looked around at the assembled group on the porch. I saw there are already four of them here. <laughs> but the, the, the part of it, yeah, you know everybody in town. The downside of that is you can't go anywhere and be anonymous. Mm. Uh, but it also, you know everything that's going on. I, I can remember when, when I left the Chronicle Tribune and went to Fort Wayne. I thought, oh, my God, you know, I know how to get hold of everybody in Marion when I need them. Fort Wayne is 10 times bigger. It's going to be impossible. I'm going to have to start all over and learn the, the community. Well, in about 90 days, I'd figured out that the structure is just the same in any town or any city. And it doesn't take long to figure out how you pick up the phone and call person A, and that leads you to B, C, D, and E. And it, it, it's the same process anywhere you go. Um, and I think that I've never worked at, at um, you know, the New York Times or a place like that, but the same thing there. You just well, USA a, Today sounds pretty up there in regards well, to, yeah, yeah. I mean, you were there for six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but it always amounts to just how many people do you know and can you pick up the phone and get to them and can you get them to tell you what's going on? And that becomes a trust factor. And that's the value of having been in this town a long time, is that, that I think the one thing I can do is assure people that I am not going to blindside them in a damaging way, and I'm going to play it straight. Yeah, so you're doing investigative journalism, but not the kind that's looking for the bomb, right, as far as... Yeah, not necessarily. I'm I mean, not there, there intentionally trying when, to trip you up. That's right. That's right. And and that you know, in a in a metropolitan situation, you hit a story and you go on to something else, and you never see or hear from those people again. They're gone forever. Mm -hmm. So it made no difference how you treated them. Uh, when I do a story in Marion, even today, when we have people on, on the, the show, these are people I'm going to see again. Or that will text you right away. We'll text you right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the only thing I try to do is I'm not going to make you happy, but I'm going to play it straight. Yeah. And, and that's so far has worked. <laughs> when I, years and years ago, I was covering uh, Marion schools at a kind of a volatile time. Teachers were threatening to go on strike and there were lots of confrontational kinds of things. And I was covering education. And when I did a story that I knew was going to make the administrators ha unhappy, I would make it a point to be at the administrative office at seven o'clock in the morning 
when it was in the Coliseum, the, the school mm. administration was in mm -hmm. what is now the YMCA. And I'd make the first pot of coffee because <laughs> I knew where the coffee pot was. And when the superintendent came in, I was going to meet him head on and and say, this is, this is what we did. You may not like it, but by God, we played it straight. Yeah. And that's all you can ask for. Hmm. Um, I had a question. I've never been a reporter or a photojournalist or anything like that. But yeah, yeah, I need to talk to you about that sometime. <laughs> you have you have all the skill set. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I was just kind of thinking about um, the the idea of chasing the story and getting the lead and making the connection. Is there is that an adrenaline rush? Is that is sure. that something you never really Absolutely. get rid of? It's an adrenaline rush. And I will tell you that much as most people will deny it, most news people will deny it, it is a kick to see your name at the top of the story in print. Yeah. Well, it, it, Tim, to this day, <laughs> uh, I write for the News Herald. Okay. And there's a young Turk named J Jace Martin who's taken my job we away from me Jace. because he's pretty <laughs> darn good. Yeah. Um, but when the paper comes out, I look at it to see how many page one bylines I've got. <laughs> still, I still keeping score. So still, I still got a little bit of an ego. <laughs> I just, you keep score. Yeah. yeah. But Jace is creeping up on you, huh? He's beating me. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's giving me a pretty good kicking. So have you like taken him up under your wing and tried to help him or is that like, nope, no, he's winging? I'm no, 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 no. The, the, whole pur <laughs> the whole purpose is to bring him along and bring him just as we did with photographers years ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, people come into the business, you want them to do well. You want them to succeed. You want them to, you, you want your publication or your radio show to be as professional as you can make it. Sure. And the way that you do that is by bringing the young talent in and nurturing them. So, Ed, um, these days when someone comes to visit you from out of town, family, friends, anything like that? I, I don't have family or friends. Well, <laughs> if, if you did <laughs> and they were coming to visit Hypothetically, you. <laughs> Hypothetically, yes. Yeah. Uh, what are the things that are happening in Grant County right now that, that get you excited, that you want to tell people about, that, that you share? Oh, my. That's an interesting question. Uh, well, I mean, there's there's the the obligatory things that we all do. Uh, one of them, of course, was Mississippi eighteen twelve. That kind of became over the years something that the people would schedule family visits during the eighteen twelve weekend because they could take them out there. Uh, that story continues to be compelling. I think, uh, much as I hate to admit it, the Dean thing will never go away. I mean, have friends or relatives come, you know, wasn't James Dean born here? Yeah, I'll show you his grave, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And I'll show you where the house is that was that he was born in mm -hmm. and why they tore it down. I'll never know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want to, we're, we're getting close on time here, but I we kind of skipped over 1812 altogether. Do you want to talk about 1812 oh. a little bit? Tell us how that, how did you get, involved in you in that. you you want the truth yes always martin lake was i was waiting for him to say well dave paler equally yeah. ill-tempered person <laughs> martin lake he of happy memory i love martin lake and we lost him a few months ago martin lake and i were at folkies and we got overserved one night and we were talking about that place out there where there was a battle. And nobody really knew very much about it. Everybody knew, yeah, there'd been a something or other out there back in 1812. And Marty and I just kind of looked at each other and said, we need to do something with this. And that was in 1985. And we started meeting started talking more about it, learning more about it, reading what we could. And turns out there was a wealth of information. You just had to go retrieve it on the whole thing. And uh, somewhere in early 1986, we decided to call a meeting. 
We said, anybody who has an interest in doing something with the Mississippi Battlefield site, show up at the Marion Public Library at 7 o'clock. And about 30 people showed up, including a group called the Medicina Long Rifles from the LaFountain area, and they came in buckskins carrying weapons. <laughs> But that was fun to watch walk in. What have we gotten I, ourselves into? And I looked at Marty. I said, I don't believe we're going to get out of here alive. <laughs> but that was that night we elected officers and uh, the Mississippi Battlefield Society was created. And then a couple of years later, we had the first 1812 event. And the, we always looked upon the event of Mississippi 1812 as simply being our bake sale to raise money to do other things. The proceeds have always gone back into the community. Uh, when the Miami Nation of Indiana decided they wanted to retrieve the Indian school mm -hmm. uh, and restore it, uh, the Battlefield Society put a lot of money on the table to make that happen. And there's an obelisk out at the Indian Cemetery now that has the names of everyone who was buried out there. Mm. And that was our project. And then, of course, the uh, memorial statue right. that is along uh, River Road. And that was that was quarter of a million dollar project. Mm. And you guys used to haul that back and forth from where it sits oh, to we the only battlefield. Did, we only did that one year. Only one year? We only did, yeah. I thought it yeah. was And there was three. a great debate going on at the time because some people wanted it to be located out at the battlefield. And we said, no, we can't do that. Somebody will go out there with a cutting torch and take the heads off all the, the, right. the, the characters. So we, we decided that it needed to be in town in it's a protected more, area. And much more visible. I think and, it helps tell the story much And much more visible. Often. And yeah. uh, we made this. That, and that turned out to be a very nice location for it. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. And, and uh, there is a generation of leadership now that understands what Mississippi 1812 is. And they're carrying on and they are doing a really fine job. Well, and there's a generation now, I mean, I was born around the time you were starting it. I mean, I don't remember ever not going to 1812. I think, you know, my parents were carting me out there when I was two or three to maybe your first event. So, um, yeah, it's always been around in my lifetime. So there's, you know, there's folks. Well, yeah, that, that, that gives me the warm fuzzies. My my first experience was, I think, my freshman year of high school. Bill Munn gave us extra credit if we went out to 1812 and he had like a list of eight answers and you had to visit certain booths to get these answers and you would get extra credit. This was, is this is two weeks in a row that I was a we've, talk, we've talked about Bill, Bill Munn. Munn. We need to get to... him on. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I got I got my extra credit points because my wanted good grades. Right. So I went out there and got my extra credit points. And my family's went out every year since then. You talk about toting the kids around. Like I can remember bundling Gavin and Hunter up in a wagon and pulling them around and mm -hmm. you know, getting the pork chops and the root beer and the corn on the cob and watching the battle and you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and we were just very, very fortunate. We hit a crest of interest in roots kinds of events. We weren't smart enough to make 1812 work. We just weren't. We didn't know anything about how to put on an event. Uh, and we learned as we went along. And what we did find in retrospect was that people have an interest in a return to the roots that their families came from. And that's what made Mississippi 1812 work. We simply created the venue out there for people to come and participate in those kinds of things. But I think you're right, Kylie. I think we need to have Bill Munn in, and I think we need to have Ed back. Would you? Now you've done the experience of the podcast. Yeah, I mean we've made it. We've made it 48 minutes so far. So I, this has been this, fun. It was this. Good. It wasn't too painful. Yeah. Okay. Before we go, though. Yeah. Every episode before before we go, we ask our guests what they are currently reading, watching, or listening to. So I've been to your house. You have a lot of books. <laughs> what what are you? Well, there's quite a debate going on in my house as to how we get rid of those <laughs> at some point. <laughs> I've suggested that the day after the funeral, they all be put out on the front porch well, and you all come and get them. <laughs> I've asked to be on that list yeah, to, to walk through the basement. <laughs> Uh, anything interest of interest that you're reading lately that 
you think other oh, people Lord. know about? Oh, Lord, yeah. Uh, a couple of things. I'm getting very bad at reading books anymore. I can't mm-hmm. maintain my focus. Mm-hmm. But there's a wonderful book on how we developed the concept of private ownership of land mm-hmm. going all the way back to medieval Europe. It's kind of fun. Oh. Insufferably you- dull for most people. <laughs> Do you remember the title or the author? Land. Okay, that's easy. Real <laughs> technical. Yeah. Land. That's why I bought it. I thought I can, I can, handle, I can, I can a, handle this. A one word title. Yeah. A one world title. <laughs> um, do you watch anything you watch on TV, documentaries? You know, the greatest thing, the greatest discovery I've made in the, in the last 10 years is YouTube <laughs> on, the Tell big, us more. on the big TV screen. Uh huh. Because I'm old and I didn't understand that there were things other than the TV networks. And my children and grandchildren (laughs) introduced me to this. And YouTube is an incredibly wonderful resource. You can find anything. You can type in the most arcane thing in the world and there will be 12 hours of material (laughs) on it. Uh Yeah. That, lest, that's essentially what I watch anymore. Lest you think he is not like all the rest of us, he does like Fraser. <laughs> Fraser reruns. Fan. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Who, who's your favorite character on Fraser? This is an important question. A bulldog. <laughs> that's probably the right answer. You're right. That's probably the right answer. <laughs> well, Ed, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Hey, we really I, appreciate it. What you're it. doing is really interesting. I think you're making a real contribution to the community and to the archive of the community. Keep doing it. We appreciate it. We appreciate you. you. Thanks, Ed. And thanks, Tim, for joining us. Um, we'll have to have you back. You Glad know, to, it, except for the trivia. <laughs> No unfair. unfair it was a little bit of a, it was a little bit of a setup yeah it was maybe we'll let you win next time you can. thank you <laughs> that's what happens when you're in control you can kind of set things up that way uh, <laughs> yeah. don't i know yeah. thanks everybody for listening um like us uh on wherever you're listening to podcasts subscribe and we'll see you next week bye Today's podcast was engineered by Kyra Montero of Frequency Canvas.